Welcome to the Expat Empire Podcast, the podcast where you can hear from expats around the world and learn how you can join them. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today for the 21st episode of the Expat Empire Podcast. I hope you all had a safe and memorable holiday even during these difficult times. I'm very glad to be able to kick off the Expat Empire Podcast in 2021 with a great interview I think you're all going to really enjoy. Before we start the interview, I want to let you know that while things still look bleak in many places around the world, this is an excellent time for you to be thinking about where you want to be living after we come out of this challenging situation. Moving abroad normally takes a minimum of at least six months of planning, so this is the perfect time to get started. At Expat Empire, we're seeing a large increase in people reaching out to discuss their moving plans as we begin a brand new year, and you can join them. Whether you're looking to make your first move abroad, move to a new country, or transition to life as a digital nomad, we're ready to help you think through the next steps in your journey abroad. We are currently offering a limited number of free 30-minute consulting calls to help people just like you to jumpstart their moves abroad. So please contact us to book a time before it's too late and our busy agenda fills up. With that said, today we will be hearing from Patrick Wilkins. Originally from Germany, Patrick followed his brother to China at the young age of 20 and stayed for eight years. After returning to Germany for another six years, he moved with his family to the Netherlands to further develop his career. Without further ado, let's start the conversation. Hey Patrick, thanks so much for joining us today on the Expat Empire podcast. Yeah, David, thanks a lot for having me. Much appreciated. So I'd love if, if you could first tell me a little bit about your background, where you're from, where around the world that you've lived so far, and where you are right now. Yes, I am German, uh, originally from Germany. Um, I moved to China when I was, uh, I think, around uh, 20 years. Um, lived there for a while, uh, eight years, and then moved back to Germany for five, six years. And now I'm actually in the Netherlands, in uh, the beautiful town of Amsterdam. Okay, wonderful. So you've definitely had a worldwide adventure. And it's interesting as well that you had that opportunity to go back to Germany for a few years after China and then go to a brand new country. So I'm really excited for us to dive into that further. Where do you think that your interest in living abroad originally came from, especially at 20 years old? How did you think China's the place for me? Yeah, I'd love to tell you a big story on how this was all planned. And, you know, being German, maybe somebody expected that as well. Right. But the answer is actually more, it's simple. My, my older brother, he lived in China. He invited me to visit him in my last year of high school. And yeah, so I, I traveled there. I really liked the vibe. I liked the people. I liked that things were very different. And uh, I decided to go there for a year after finishing high school. And I did. And every year I kind of like called my parents and told them that I will stay a while longer. And I say another year and another year and another year. And, and yeah, it, it became ultimately eight years in China. So it, it wasn't really, you know, like an urge to leave rather than, you know, after experiencing it for the first time, like a desire to have that, you know, experience of feeling a while longer. And yeah, I still enjoy having it. Yeah, I can imagine. It's great to hear that you were able to take it step by step, as you said, year by year. What was it at the end of those years? Did you ever think before you actually ended up leaving that, okay, did you have any question of, am I going to stay one more year or not? How did it ultimately culminate in deciding to leave after eight years instead of after year one, year two, year three? Was it just too much fun or what was it that was keeping you there? Really good question. On the one hand, China is a great country and, and just the opportunity to be there. Again, my background you know, on the work side, I do work in gaming and for games, you know, 2006 or eight and, and you know, even, even 2010 have been really interesting years for gaming in China, actually. So that was one major reason, of course, for me to, to stay there. Another reason that I had was I was always, you know, like looking also towards my friends, uh, you know, seeing what they're right now doing and, you know, seeing if I can kind of like, yeah, keep up. There was always a very healthy amount of uh, peer pressure and then obviously competitiveness. So, so I was always looking and benchmarking myself. And it, it really made a lot of sense for me to stay in China because things were developing so rapidly. You know, there was a great community. I mean, the way that we met was through a common friend, actually. So this whole expat life, I think it's really different. People have to experience it. The, the international vibe, the different cultures that meet on a regular basis. It's just a very, yeah, energizing kind of experience that, that I did really, yeah, enjoyed having. And uh, that's what kept me in China and what actually made me leave China. Many things came together. 
there was a personal reason my father didn't, his health wasn't that good, mm. and I wanted to spend some more time with him. 2013 was a point where China as a country in relation to games was less interesting because it was much more inward focused at that point. And another really important reason was that there was a really great opportunity in Germany, mm. a really great next career step. And maybe the most important of all was, uh, you know, I, I met my wife in China, we got married, uh, you know, we thought about thought about the next stage of our life and Europe was more of an opportunity there. So again, we, we decided to return. Yep, yep, that makes perfect sense. And as far as getting your first start in China, I mean, going back to that, the beginning of that story, because I definitely think that there's a lot we can dive into in terms of your experience there. How did you find your first opportunity or how did you get your start other than having that first trip but to really make a long-term move that ended up being eight years in total in the end? Yeah. So, I mean, again, my first start in China was to simply live at my brother's place. But shortly after, I had the opportunity to actually work for a Chinese company to help them create a brand experience and also sell their products to a Chinese audience. And it was amazing because, again, in Germany, um, for Germans, things are a bit more structured. And, you know, unless you have had an apprenticeship for three years in, in this particular field or unless you studied and have a degree in that particular field, you know, people usually do not give you the opportunity to succeed. And right. China was very different. Mm. I had a conversation and we gave it a try and it worked out quite, quite well for us. The person that I did business with till today, we are in really close contact. We meet each other regularly, still did a couple of other things together in the meantime. And... That was really for me the kicker that I realized, you know, Jesus, unlike in other countries in this world, if you're good at it and you can show it, you know, you get the chance of, of actually doing it. And, and that really right. was a feeling that kept me in China for many, many years. Yeah, that's a great point. And I get the question many times about, is it better to develop your career internationally first or to start out in your home country? And in fact, does going abroad help you to get higher up on the, the leadership level and potentially the pay scale quicker than if you were to stay at your home country. Naturally, that depends on the industry, the countries that you're yeah. talking about, you know, a lot of factors. But what's your general take based on your experience? It sounds like from what you just mentioned that indeed, uh, you were given more opportunities, more chances to lead and to move up in your career by actually going abroad. What's your general impression or perhaps advice for other people? I agree. And, and you made a really valid point there, David. It depends on the industry. It depends on the country. It even depends on the time that you go there. Mm -hmm. So talking about China, talking about gaming, because that's something that I'm more familiar with. You know, gaming in China today is very different than gaming in China, you know, in 2006 when I moved there. And for foreigners, that's even more true because 2006 you went to China. You know, China was still at that point in time for gaming. Again, this part that I'm talking about has been a country that was mainly focused on, on outsourcing work. So, you know, you were more likely to find a job in a company that is actually working with one of the bigger international companies and doing cost-efficient uh, development of games. And of course, since then, China developed into, you know, a, a gaming powerhouse. You know, it's the biggest country in terms of revenue uh, uh, for, for mobile games, for example. You know, the audience um, uh, shifted towards a more national audience, meaning the Chinese audience becomes much more powerful. So, again, the 2006 Patrick wouldn't have made the same career in 2020 as I could have done in 2006. I think that's really important. And to the second point of the question, uh, could I drive or uh, climb the ladder up faster? I, I do think that's true. The experience in, in a foreign country really helped me and still helps me today, actually, mm. to just yeah, be more open, you know, have more experiences. And I think all of those parts help you as a manager to become more successful. Right. So it's fantastic to hear that you were able to leverage that experience into more personal and professional growth, not just in China, but abroad and in your home country as well. But as you said, it was different in 2006 versus looking at 2020 right now. So yeah. perhaps you were just on the fortunate end of the luck scale or the luck factor was there, but you were in the right place at the right time in, in an essence, according to what I'm hearing so far. So how do yeah. other people make that happen? Or do you see any other particular economies in the horizon that are on the way up that might provide a similar opportunity to people looking out in the next you know, two, three years to make a move abroad? Yes. When I would look into gaming and maybe beyond that into some of the reports that I've read, to me, 
Um, it seems Southeast Asia in general, uh, again, not China, because China developed uh, very far already, but like Indonesia, for example, uh, you know, India, certainly, and some of those countries, Vietnam, are some of those, you know, rising stars. And there are many more. I think everybody just has to read the latest, whatever, Ernest and Young report on the state of the industry. And in games in particular, I think those areas and those countries are also quite, quite relevant. So again, if I would be looking into a similar environment that I found in China in 2006, in 2020 or 2021, I would probably be looking into, into those kind of countries. And then if you go maybe in 2025, and again, I'm not an economist and I'm not particularly smart, right. but again, if you would ask me today, I would say 2025, you know, Africa, certainly, mm. uh, Nigeria, uh, I've seen is going to enter the G7 eventually. So that, that'd probably be a country for me to move in, even in gaming, by the way. Yeah, well, that's some great advice and some good places for people to look for opportunities. So when you just moved to China, of course, you traveled there first, but when you moved and started that one followed by two year and so on yeah. through eight years, which city were you based in? And how did you find it originally as far as you know, openness to foreigners, being able to adapt and kind of adopt the Chinese culture and society with the language. And just give us kind of your initial impressions and how those first few months and maybe even first year went for you. Yes, I actually started my China adventure in Shanghai and I ended up in Beijing. And I changed from Shanghai to Beijing relatively soon because that's where the opportunities have been at that time. In So again, I did the move there. Mm -hmm. And in terms of openness, I think one of the beauties of going into another country is to be open to that country and rely on that more than, than you rely on the openness of the other country to be open to you, if that makes sense. Right. So for me, what I always loved about it is that I was a German in China and I never had the aspiration and I would not recommend anybody actually to have this to expect the country to change towards you, but you should adapt, you know, the best thing, take whatever is best in your country and of your mentality, you know, and, and try to bring that to the place that you're living at. But also whatever is best in the other country, you know, really adapt it and, and make it your new reality. And that's what I always try to do. I try to do that in the Netherlands, you know, and I, and I certainly try to do that in China. And also, by the way, I try to do that in Germany and take whatever was best in, you know, from my experiences in China and try to bring that to Germany as well. So I, that really helped myself a lot. It's what today I still believe to be the best advice to myself. Actually, I don't know if other people will benefit from it, but, but I certainly benefit from it. I'm sure that they will. What were some of those things that you did in the early days to adapt to the Chinese culture as opposed to trying to kind of impose your home culture, as you mentioned? Um, what did you do to integrate yourself into the society and culture and make yourself an active contributing member of society, of course, outside of your work? Really good, <laughs> good question. Um, I mean, of course, paying taxes was, was a big thing, right? Like after, yes. <laughs> after starting a job, if I've done nothing else, at least I pay my taxes and <laughs> contributed to this part. I think it's, it was really queuing, for example, is a great example. Queuing is a great example. Mm. In China, at least while I was there, queuing was not necessarily a concept that people adapted to. So it was really a free-for-all whenever you were entering the subway or the bus or anything, actually. And I could have probably been very German. And I've seen some people, I did do have some, not, not a lot, but some German friends, of course. And, and a really small set of those German friends complained a lot about, oh, you know, why is nobody queuing there? You know, why aren't they doing it as we are used to, you know, in Germany? And then, yeah, why would they? Because it still works. And it worked for them. It, it honestly, uh, it probably still works for them to do it the way that they're used to. And, and once I accepted that, and once I did not try to fight, you know, 1.3 billion people and tried to, you know, convince them that, that the way right. that I think is the best way is certainly the only way in this world to act. Uh, you know, once I accepted that fact, that it's not better or worse, it's just different. And in this country, you know, this is how you do things. Yeah, for me, it was easy. And I never second guessed it. And I was everybody else on the subway trying to, you know, sneak my way around and had a personal pride if, if I was the first <laughs> in the car. Right. And I think the only exceptions were really when there was like, you know, when there were kids in front of me or like an elderly lady, right? I think that's when you remember. And also to the defense of Chinese people, that's when they also remember that there is something more important than being first, which is, you know, help some of the people that are 
For, for whatever reason, I'm not able to go there first. So again, I think that's one of the examples. Really adapt to the culture and accept that you're in another country and accept that, that this other country has something to teach you. And once you have that openness, you know, that, and that willingness also, not just openness, but also willingness to learn, I do think you are able and very well equipped to live wherever you want. And then it doesn't matter if you speak the language. When I traveled to China, I didn't speak Chinese at all. Mm. Same in the Netherlands, by the way. I did not speak that. Oh, although, of course, German and Dutch are very similar. But, you know, once you have that openness, it doesn't matter. Don't worry about the language. Don't worry about the job. Have that openness. Go to the country. You'll be successful. I, I honestly believe that. Wow. That's great advice. But I think it will take some of the listeners maybe some extra courage to make that happen. Do you feel like that's just your general outlook on life? Or have you developed that as a result of your international experiences? Of course, they may go hand in hand. But when you were 20 years old, did you? it sounds like maybe you just had that deep belief within yourself that I'm going to go, of course, you had your brother there. So that's great. You had that first landing pad, but then let's just figure it out. Was that your mentality? Or do you think that, you know, that's something that has changed in you over the, the last 14 years abroad? Yeah, I think nature was a nurture, right? Is that is that how you yes. say it in English? Honestly, it was a mix of both, right? I think you need to have a certain openness to it and you have to have to a certain mindset to embark on the journey. But once you're on that journey, I think the experience that you make on a day-to-day basis uh, show you that this is not the only way, but one way that gets you further in life. And I think you can stick to it. So I think once you've done the first step on the journey, once you bought the ticket, you know, once you yeah. agreed to be somewhere for six months or for a year, I think that is probably more a mindset topic. But once you are there, I think the experience will just show you that this is a smart move. And by the way, I'm not the only one saying it. I think most of the of the people that I met in China, and I'm still in contact with really great people, uh, some of my closest friends, have a similar story that they came to China first and then they prolonged and, and stayed there longer. Yeah. Did, did you find, out of curiosity, that the German subset of friends that were, for example, quite frustrated at the queuing issues that you talked about. Did those same individuals manage to make it work for themselves in China for the long term, or did they tend to go back earlier on the earlier side compared to other expats there? Because I think that adapting and and trying not to get too frustrated at the local norms is a key part of being successful abroad. So I'm curious if they were able to find success eventually. No. I don't think they did uh, in the end. And for some, I know that they didn't. And success not meaning they are successful in life. Yes, and they have found places elsewhere in the world, mostly in their home country, and they have great careers and great families and great relationships. So that's not what I'm saying. But if you ask me if they've been successful to be in China in the long term or really enjoyed the trip as much as, you know, maybe I or some other people enjoyed it, I don't think they did. And I think that's one of the clearest indicators. If you have somebody or if you are yourself a person that is very judgmental or has a very high opinion on on how things are supposed to be done, then probably you should not pick a country where things are fundamentally different, right? Maybe pick a country that's closer. You know, if you're American, go to Canada. And that's a European opinion, by the way. (laughs) I'm pretty sure if if you are actually American, you're like, what are you talking about? You know, Canada, China, same thing. You know, it's, it's all a different culture. But yeah, stick to a country that's closer to your own if you still do it. But again, stick to stick to a country that's culturally more close to what you're used to. I think that's a great piece of advice and probably goes without as much thought um, for most people goes with as much thought behind it as as it should be, which is if you are a bit rigid in the way that you want to do things or you think that your home culture, home country maybe does things better in some certain aspect than other countries, then indeed there's so many countries out there that maybe you don't necessarily need to go as far away from that culture that you're used to as you possibly could. So there's plenty of options. And I think that's a great point. Yes. I should probably spend <laughs> spend more time thinking about that on my own as well. I think I've done a decent job, but I hadn't been able to put it together so succinctly before. So I appreciate the insight. And for you, I mean, again, uh, right now you're in Portugal, right? So that's, I think, is also a great country to be in. And I think also culturally different to what you used to, right? So I think you picked a good spot for yourself. Yeah, I think I ended up in the right spot. And uh, it's for the reasons that you mentioned, but definitely... I guess, yeah, it wasn't said so directly. And I think that's great for people to think about. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you developed your career in the gaming industry. It sounds like it was a great place to be when you were first in China. But how did you get your start? I'm sure there's some listeners that are curious how they can break into that industry and get those opportunities. And just to hear about how your careers developed since those early days. 
yes, again, not just China, but also gaming, of course, advanced a lot. Uh, but I will try to make some examples that are still relevant today. And I'm not just talking about like, oh, guess I've been lucky. That's your takeaway. Uh, better right. be Patrick. So I started in gaming in 2008 in, in China. And believe it or not, I was actually uh, answering an, uh, an advertisement in a local newspaper in the Beijing. And the headline was, uh, are you interested to work in the games industry? Mm. So I read this and I was like, yeah, hell yeah, I'm, I'm interested to work in the games industry. I mean, I do not have a background there uh, other than, you know, I am an avid gamer, but I certainly have the willingness and I think also general ability to, to make things work that I'm interested in. So I applied and I got the job. And it was, yeah, honestly, the best thing uh, professionally that, that happened to me because not just did I get a chance to work in the gaming industry but I also had you know amazing uh, teams and bosses from the start you know Ari McGrowen, Ori Aravif, uh, two great guys and I met many people through them and because of the opportunities there so it was a great start not just a great country but also a great great uh, great company to start with and, and the great bosses to have. And as you developed in your time there, I know you also started the Game Industry Networking Group. Could you tell us a little bit about that? And also, really, in general, uh, more broadly, how you developed your network in China outside of, you know, your colleagues, your coworkers, and maybe how other people can try to tackle that when they move abroad. Oh, yeah. I mean, here's Patrick's, uh, whatever, two, three step. Let's see where I end up at uh, advice for people who are abroad. I mean, first thing is, you know, do a team sport. If you're a tennis player or, you know, yeah, fine, start playing at least double. But really, football, you know, basketball, you know, any team sport, basically hockey, uh, doesn't matter. Pick a team sport. Because every city that I know of and has a certain uh, club in the sport, and usually that's where all the expats gather, and these people are very open and a great and welcoming community. So one of the best things I've actually done was to join a, a five-a-side soccer team. And that's, by the way, also where I met, met quite a few people, and that really helped. Mm. And that was one of the reasons also for me to actually start Game Industry Networking. I actually have been taken to some of the dinners. It was a dinner that was happening on a monthly basis, I think every first Thursday in Beijing. And I was, in a way, the youngest and the most junior one to be taken to those dinners. Again, thanks to Ari, my my boss at that time, who who brought me there. Hmm. And it was so obvious to me that this is the place where everybody should be because you know everybody around you was smarter than you you know had more experiences has done more things in life you know better than you and just i'm a talkative person but just being at those meetings and just be quiet and listen was such a you know experience and and helped me so much in becoming a better person myself that it was an absolute no-brainer for me to grow that you know to say well you know we need more people we need smarter people you know, I just need more people to to listen and learn from. And that was really the, the reason for me to start uh, Game Industry Networking and make it, you know, professionally, I, I never made money with it. I don't plan to make money with, with, with Game Industry Networking other than learning and getting an energy kick every time an event like this is hosted. Again, we started in, I think, in 2010 it was, and by now we're still doing it. And yeah, to be honest, yes, of course it grew, right? We have a lot of C-level decision makers attending those events. Uh, You know, we do that during every major gaming conference, for example, whether or not this is in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Hamburg, Berlin, Amsterdam, doesn't matter. We, We usually try to do like a dinner. By now, this dinner is fairly well known so we already have a lot of people that are generally interested in and, and asking and of course it makes it easier right yes as opposed to the early days when you still had to you know be your best ambassador yourself right go out there actively ask people it actually changed i think around 2000 and, and 2012 or so i think it changed that, that actually significantly more people are asking me to be invited than then i actually have to ask and invite that's another thing that makes things easier but it's also a sign i think that, that this is something that that people value, right? Mm-hmm. Like an honest exchange of stories, information, and generally just having a good time in a casual environment uh, without any sales pitch or content marketing, because that's one thing we really don't do. So yeah. I think it's a great thing, which by the way can be copied. I didn't invent something new. I basically just took what other people have done before me and did it for the games industry. So if you're listening to this one and you're in whatever, in automotive or in education, or it doesn't matter where you are, you know, you can copy that yourself. So I guess that wraps up maybe most of the conversation for us today around your time in China. And you talked already at the beginning about why you decided to leave. But I wanted to touch on one question there, which was, you said by the time, I believe it was in 
2013 when you decided to leave mm-hmm. that the games industry was not as interesting anymore. And you talked about the evolution a little bit, but I just would love to get a little more background on how you saw it shifting and also how you were ultimately able to find your next opportunity, which was indeed back in Germany, your home country. Yes. And to clarify, the games industry, of course, even today, and I'm pretty sure in 50 years, is still going to be very interesting. But for me, Mm -hmm. in China, the amount of value I could add to the games industry in China was not that much anymore. So Mm -hmm. that was really the point when I realized professionally it's time to move and again together with the personal reasons of meeting my wife my father not being well in in germany that those three things really were the main reason for me to do the move ultimately and what happened so as i mentioned in the beginning the chinese user the chinese gamer did not spend as much money on games as they're doing today and the chinese audience was not as much a focus even for chinese developers as it is today So while it was perfectly reasonable and smart for like a foreigner to be in China working for a predominantly Chinese company, although my bosses were foreigners, but again, 98% of the company was actually Chinese. While it made sense at that point, it would not make as much sense today anymore, given my command of the Chinese language and some game design experiences, because today Chinese game design is quite unique for a positive sense. It's very monetization driven. It's very fast paced. There's a lot of life operations. Mm -hmm. It's expanding a game from its core to like a really like a behemoth of multiple features and, and meta loops. That's really something that people in Asia and then people in China do particularly well and probably do better than Europeans. So why would a Chinese company today get a guy from Europe to go to China to develop a game in China for Chinese people. It's just not that easy anymore. Right. And that became a bit more apparent in, again, to the, like uh, the Olympics, by the way, has been a major change, in my opinion, towards how Chinese and foreigners interact and also how foreigners see China. So again, the Olympics for 2008 was one really big change. And then again, for the games industry, the financial crisis, of course, 2007, 8, 9, and then the games industry shifting in roughly around, mm-hmm. yeah, I would say 2000 and yeah, don't nail me down on this one, but again, 2011, 2012, I think we, there were enough signs like you were seeing friends leaving, you know, there were not mm-hmm. that many new foreigners coming in. Obviously, having the game industry networking, I was very much you know, up to date on everything happening, right? I, I've seen other companies, you know, their hiring plans, their ideas, and there were a lot of changes. So again, being at that networking event, not just hosting, but simply being on that networking event, you know, being in touch with your industry, and again, it doesn't have to be games, can be whatever you like, but just being up to date on things, I think it was also clearer for me to see the writings on the wall in a way. And and today, if you look at it, the amount of foreigners in China and the amount of foreign-owned enterprises in China is just less than it has been. In, hmm. Or the percentage of those, maybe not the total number, but the percentage of those in relation to Chinese organizations. And certainly in relations to Chinese organizations generating revenue is far less than it has been in 2008, for example. So again, all of those reasons why my value add for the Chinese gaming industry was diminishing year over year and then taking that experience of eight years in China, bringing it to Europe, that was a very obvious benefit to myself, but also to the companies that I worked with. It was relatively easy for me to actually make the move from, again, China to Europe. And then it turned out to be Germany. There were some other offers on the table, but of course, also my father, my father's health made it an obvious choice to actually go to Germany. Yeah, thank you for that overview. It's really insightful and helpful. And I'm curious as well, when you looked at the idea of eight years in China, how can I leverage this experience in Europe? It's great to hear that there were many companies that were receptive to that. But I think if, you know, eight years is eight years, it's not two, three years, and it's also not 20 years. It's a long time. So do you ever get a sense that there was some, not hesitancy, but more like a you would be fitting more into like a China-focused role even in another country, even in Germany? Or was that never an issue? Was it always welcoming this, you know, your eight years in China experience with open arms from an employer's point of view? Mm. Really good point. I was having a call a week ago, I think, with a friend from China. And what he said is something that other people that I met and also myself feel every now and then is after all of those years in China, uh, doing another job, 
people forget that you have that China experience as well. So, and, and I would assume it's not related to China, it's related to the foreign experience. So at one point, you have that experience for yourself and you have it also in the resume somewhere, but you have it mostly for yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the job in Germany, nor the job today, nor the job in five years from now, my experience in China will be the deciding factor. Mm-hmm. What will be a deciding factor, hopefully, is my open-mindedness, my experience dealing with multiple cultures, my flexibility, fixing issues in a variety of environments, you know, my experience starting things from scratch in an environment that is, you know, unknown. I think those things are more valued. And then again, whether or not you have been, if you're in German in China or in American in Brazil or a Brazilian in whatever, Poland, I think having that experience is more important than the country that you had that experience in. Right. So as a result of that, I do not think that you should focus on keeping the experience of that country. One exception, of course, if, and I haven't done that a bit, of course, but not that much, if you would have been in China and if you would have studied Chinese a lot and if that would be like a really you know like a superpower of yours now you are one of the few foreigners that speaks perfect chinese that can write contract in chinese all of those areas of course then yes it makes sense to or any other language for that matter it makes sense of course to make that one of your usps and you would be more related to that country because of it if that's not your focus still the mindset the experience for me for example mm-hmm. having been in china what i learned is that management, whether or not it is agile or waterfall, whether or not it is, you know, like a top-down or bottom-up approach, whether or not it's more of a, you know, participatory or delegative management style, there are many, many ways that lead to Rome in a way. There are many, many ways of managing and dealing with teams, and there are many, many ways of dealing and managing different cultures. So just that understanding that the German way is not the only way, just the understanding that the American way is not the only way, just this openness already gives you a competitive edge against everybody else who didn't have that experience. Right. Once you have that experience, you will be able to leverage it and you will be a better manager, a better person, a more open-minded person for that. And I do think that more open-minded person and people have a chance to add more value to wherever they are. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful point. I'm glad that you've had that experience. And now that, let's say, after China, you were there for eight years, you went back, you've, you got a job in Germany, uh, you went back to your home country and you started working there. Did you have any reverse culture shock or did you find that your <laughs> indeed your increased openness and open-mindedness at odds at, ever with you know your colleagues or your friends or just your network there in Germany as well? Luckily, a shout out to all the... German friends that I know from kindergarten, actually, uh, and from my earliest years of childhood, they always put up with me. It's it's an amazing group <laughs> of people that I yeah can't express how fortunate I am to to have those guys and girls in my life. That never was a culture shock. So once I met them again, it was like as if I've never left. So that's mm-hmm. that's a good thing. At work, yeah, very much. Of course, it was a culture shock. I mean, back in the days in China, it was very much top down. The manager needed to know everything, kind of an environment. You were not really asking you were telling people and it was not slavery very far from it we had really close and great relationships we went to each other's weddings we knew each other's wives so it was even though you were the boss in in some instances or the employee of course there were also it was never as bad as it might sound when i'm talking about it but Mm. yeah the same way of approaching people in germany did not work at all and i had to learn that and i had to learn that there are advantages of doing it uh, the chinese way and I had to learn that there are advantages of doing it the German way. By the way, my professional career, my very first jobs, I had some student jobs, of course, in Germany, but my first professional jobs for the first eight years were, were all in, in Asia. So I'm actually Asian educated, if you want to say it this way. And I had to re-educate myself once I arrived in, in Germany. And that's another learning that I had. Just by speaking the language doesn't make you part of the culture, right? You have to not just <laughs> same way, by the way. Just speaking Chinese doesn't make you more adept to China, I don't think. Um, mm. It helps, but it doesn't make you more adept. Same way, just speaking German doesn't make you more adept. You have to kind of like also get a feeling for the culture. And yeah, of course, it was a reverse culture shock, especially, of course, with my parents and the older generation, right? The more traditional right. people. Right. Sometimes they're just looking at me and shaking their heads. You know, it's just, 
this level of like, why would you ever do that? And then the answer is, yeah, because I lived eight years abroad and I've seen other people doing it and not, and the world still continued to turn in that subject. One thing, regards of culture, people have in common, and that's the amazing thing about being in a foreign country. Mm-hmm. You ask at the beginning, hey, is it, you know, is it your nature? Is it the nurture? You know, we agreed it's a bit, well, I said it's a bit both. I don't know if you agree, but, but uh, I think it's a bit of both. When you go to another country, and that might be more relevant for the Europeans that are listening than it is for the Americans that are listening, because America is a you know rather a melting pot. But again, in Europe, you have an opportunity. As an example, you go to a subway in China. You're a foreigner. It means you do not look Chinese most of the time. And you see another foreigner. And it doesn't matter how he looks. Black, white, yellow, green, pink, dotted, doesn't matter. You and him or her have a connection in a sense that, hey, we are both not from here, yet we both thought it's a smart idea to do that, right? We thought it's a smart idea to ride that subway in a country that you do not come from for whatever reason. And that connects you. Mm-hmm. And this connection makes it so easy. I've never met so many people from so many different countries with so many different backgrounds than I did in China. Mm-hmm. Because I had this confidence that whoever I talk to, at least we have one thing in common. We're not from here. At least we have one thing in common. We're open to other cultures, statistically speaking. So that's another really important thing. When you go abroad, of course, things are different, but there is going to be a local community that you should certainly engage with, but there's also an expert community that you you will be maybe surprised, maybe not surprised, has things in common with you. And sometimes it's easier to meet new friends in another country than it is to meet new friends in your own country. Because if I meet another German, we might have nothing in common other than the passport. Mm -hmm. But when you meet another person in a foreign country, you have at least two, three things in common. So I think that's that's another really important thing. This is a great point. And I 100% agree. And maybe some folks listening would think, well, I want to get that local experience. I just want to hang out with the locals. I don't care about the rest of the foreigners. That's why I left my home country, so on and so forth. I've had those thoughts before in the past too. I know plenty of people who have had them. And I can also say that I noticed it even from my first experience studying abroad, where, I mean, that's a different situation indeed from living somewhere for a very long time and being in a working environment. But just... Purely, like, of course, you try to make those local connections, but you might just be on very different wavelengths and obviously have different goals with how you want to spend your time, especially if you're somewhere for just a semester. But those connections, like you said, it's so it's in a way so easy to make because you already have so much in common. And uh, yeah, I tend to find that these groups are very welcoming as well. They're, you know, just safe spots for new and old foreigners to go and to hang out, make connections, help each other out and really show the, the new folks the ropes and that helps when you're first there and then people get in this you know habit of giving back because they were accepted the first time and I've I just seen that happen so many times in my career and moving to so many countries so I think it's great that you brought that up because I think it's easy to forget that and you might be concerned how am I going to make any friends there but in most cities that have at least some form of an expat community it doesn't have to be that big. There's going to be the expat bars or the meetup groups yeah. or the sports and sporting events, like you mentioned, to be able to make those initial connections. I mean, honestly, and that's <laughs> unasked for, I know, but when in Portugal, of course, the first you know step, either A, football, or B, yeah, an organization like the one that, that you're having, right? The expat empire mm-hmm. is, for me, is an absolute no-brainer. And I would, my friends, my family, you know, my kids, once they are old enough, you know, I would always tell them exactly the same thing, you know, look for an expat organization and, and join a football club or whatever sports club you like whenever you're in a foreign country. And it will be so much easier afterwards. Right. Yeah, 100%. So I guess just to try to understand a little bit of the most recent part of your story as we wrap up here, it'd be great to understand where things went for you once you were in Germany. And ultimately, a couple of years later, five, six years later, I think you mentioned, then you moved to the Netherlands. So I'd love just to hear about that process and also how you decided to go back into that foreign environment from your quote unquote, you know, safe home country, where it might be very clearly within your comfort zone. Yes, a very good question. Of course, it's a personal answer. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, my 
my father is not with us anymore, so there was one less reason. My mother loves to travel, so wherever I go, she usually comes, so that's perfect. It's a great excuse for both of us. That's one reason. But also, gaming is a beautiful industry. I do like it. Entertainment, working with customers directly, right? Adding value to somebody's life. Uh, And if it is just having more fun or, you know, having more meaningful time using the products that we are developing. So again, it doesn't have to be games, but you know, games is one of the channels that enables me to do that. Mm-hmm. The higher you go, the less opportunities you have in any given city, right? right? And of course, at one point also in any given country. So yes, if you are in a more traditional industry that has more people employed, although gaming is really catching up a lot now. I read an article in the UK, for example. It's one of the top employers now. I think it was 140,000 people being employed. I think US, it's going to be significantly more than that. Wow. So again, but still gaming is not, you know, it's not the traditional. Uh, I think if you're an accountant in Germany, you know, you would, yeah, there's probably always going to be a job for you, right? If you work in, an, in a bank, if you work in a car dealership, if you, it doesn't really matter. You know, there'll probably be plenty of jobs, even in your own city, that you don't have to leave. Although, again, when you change cities, or in another sentence, once you agree to stay in Hamburg, once you agree to stay in Chicago, once you agree to stay in Beijing, you've made that decision. Priority one is the city. Priority two is whatever, job. Fine. Doesn't matter that you're not successful. On the contrary, you're probably going to be very successful. Mm -hmm. If you say the job, is my number one priority in a way, right? Mm-hmm. And I am open enough to really not make it matter that much where I am because I always love the country that I'm in or the people that I'm with. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have more opportunities. Right. And for me, that's the case. So for me, at one point, you know, looking for the same job in Germany, there might be five or six jobs that would bring me to the next level and those jobs at the moment are occupied by really smart and capable people so unless they decide to go elsewhere you know it's going to be difficult for me to to find a place there and uh, luckily i don't have to wait for them to leave because the world is an awesome and big place and in many countries netherlands for example is a very welcoming Mm. it's a very welcoming place for me it was no brain anyway to say, well, yeah, then I leave Hamburg and join Amsterdam. And eventually I might leave Amsterdam and, and go elsewhere because I have yet to encounter a country and a culture and people that are not awesome, that are not welcoming, that do not add value to my life, that do not add value to my family's life. So, yeah, I've never had that experience that I went to a country and didn't have a great time. That gives me the confidence to move. Yeah, to move. Yeah, regularly. It makes sense. And I have the same mentality, especially as it relates to job versus location. And I think many people look at my background with such a deep interest in Japan and think, why did you only stay two years in Japan? It's a great question. Still surprises me somewhat to this day, but I decided in the end to go more for career rather than any one location and recognizing the same as you that there's a lot of wonderful places out there that are very welcoming and have great job opportunities. And I didn't want to be held to only what was in front of me there in Japan or in Tokyo. So I completely agree 100% with what you're saying and the sentiment that brought you to go to the Netherlands. Which, by the way, is a great example of exactly what you and I discussed like 10 minutes ago, right? You and I, totally different background, totally different upbringing, different countries, different cultures, everything is different. But this we, for example, agree 100%, right? Mm -hmm. We have the same mindset without having, I mean, how often did you and I talk, right? Yeah. in the past like three four times but again we do agree on this one and we understand each other because we have the same experience it doesn't matter that you have been in japan and i'm in china it doesn't matter that you're now in portugal right. and now i'm in amsterdam because the experience is the same and i think yeah. this is also what brings people forward in life that this experience is universally usable it doesn't matter country yes yes and it stays with you and you can leverage yeah. it so many spots yeah How was it moving to a new country for the second time? Was it any different? And obviously, you're in a different life situation, professional situation. So were there any things that stood out to you that made it easier or harder the second time around? Yeah, I think uh, for me, already having established that I am more adept to doing those moves, uh, it was less the country that changed things than the status of having a kid, for example, right? So once you have a kid, in our case, we even have two kids. Uh, Vicky is actually born in the Netherlands uh, six months ago. Oh, okay. On the day, actually, today, on the day, yeah. uh, six months ago. 
Thank you very much. That, of course, changes things for me rather than changing the country. Once you change a country, things are relatively similar, right? First, you check how is the work situation there, right? How is the weather? How is the tax situation? How is the employment situation, right? right? What do I like about this country? What do I don't like about this country? So those things have been the same every time I make a decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what changed, of course, is, yeah, you have a wife, uh, then you have one kid, then you have two kids, so it becomes important. You know, do I want to move again? Is it an advantage for the family to actually do the move? You do not have to consider yourself anymore. So that's, by the way, why the younger you are and listening to this one, mm. if you think you have a hard time making the decision, yes, I'm sure you feel this way. And I felt the same way. You know, when I was in China, every time I was, oh, it's so hard to make a decision. And then when we decided, you know, with a wife together to go to gym, I said, oh, it's so hard to make a decision. Have one kid, have two kids, right? <laughs> Then, then it becomes even harder to make a decision. But that's a personal opinion because things are more at stake. So the younger you are, take risks, honestly. You can always recover. You know, if you go to a country right. and it's not a nice country, you know, you leave after a year, it's fine. You know, you will be able to compensate that. Even if you stay there two years and you don't have the best experience, go to another country, have an even better experience, you know? Yeah, yeah. Things become a bit more difficult the older you get. <laughs> and I think that's the main difference uh, for me. The family situation changes, so your decision parameter change, and you become a bit more cautious on the, the environment that you're moving into. Because that's one thing for the older people that listen to, for the married people. It's nice that you find a new job, so you're covered. Mm. You have a sense, you have meaning. And that's one thing that we did very well, actually, as a family, I have to say. My wife is from China, for the people that haven't figured it out by now. Mm. And when I moved to Germany... We picked a location that was good, but it wasn't perfect. And it wasn't perfect because there were not enough uh, expats around for my mm-hmm. wife mm-hmm. to meet, to have a, a thing in common. And that's one big recommendation that I would do. When you move with a family, consider your family, of course, and look for an environment that sustains them and that energizes them. And we've done that very well in the Netherlands, so to speak. Uh, chapeau to the Netherlands. It's a very welcoming country. Uh, everybody speaks English here. Uh, there is a Chinese community that certainly helps. Our son, for example, goes on Sundays to the Chinese school to nice. stay in contact with, with their culture uh, or with this part of the culture as well, of course, because I think it's so uh, important. Vicky, for example, is, I think, what you would call a, is it called a third culture kid? Right. It's a German father, uh, you know, it's a Chinese <laughs> mother, born in the Netherlands. I mean, it's going to be a nightmare during the Football <laughs> World Cup to pick a team to cheer for, I guess, <laughs> or during the Olympics. Right. But yeah, of course, have that in mind with every decision that you do. And that's, of course, in the forefront of, of our decision making as well now as a family. Well, that's beautiful advice. That's really fantastic because it it is applicable, as you say, to both the younger people listening that are maybe just in school now or just recently getting out of school and early in their careers that have that potential more flexibility to make a move and as well as some of the older folks like us that have more of a family situation to keep in mind. And I truly appreciate yes. that advice and everything that you've told us over this conversation. And I'd just love to know if you have any other insights or pieces of advice that you've left on the cutting board that you'd otherwise like to share? Going abroad is, if you have the right mindset and the right attitude towards it, one of the best things that happened to me. And I would recommend it to everybody that has a similar disposition as myself. And I would certainly recommend it to my kids. I wouldn't force them because I think, again, it might not be for everybody. Mm. Uh, But the people that do it and the people that really immerse themselves, and that's the next thing, for example, in China, they have this, you know, Shunyi was back in the days was like this expat village. Mm. It was more like a ghetto, if you want to call it this. You probably could live four years in Shunyi without ever having to experience China. And I'm pretty sure that there's a Shunyi in every city. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying that that's not an experience that people can have. I'm just saying it's not an experience that I would want to have. So when you are in a foreign country, of course, you know, interact with the expert community, interact with the local community. I don't think there's much point for anybody to go in a foreign country and all you do 24-7 is to stick with the people that you already could have met in your own country mm-hmm. and then create those culturally not adapting enclaves. I don't have a problem with it. I just don't think there's a value in it. Right. Or as much a value as there would be if you would be immersing yourself into whatever culture that you're encountering. And I think the world will be a better place if more people will be open to other cultures mm. and more understanding towards other cultures. I think that's a really important thing. One more practical thing to the people that actually leave 
a university and go abroad. If you happen to have an opportunity to go abroad and to be in a situation where your boss is also an expat, maybe even from the same country as you, uh, but again, it doesn't have to be at all. There's a certain connection that, once again, this connection that I talked about, there's a certain connection. I do not know if I like to think this way, especially to the bosses that I had, but I don't know. If I would have been one out of 50 other people that they would have managed, and we all would have been the same, you know, German, born in Hamburg, you know, red hair. You know, I don't know if we would have ever uh, had the opportunity to go for drinks or dinner together, but mm. we did because I was one out of one out of 100 that has been uh, had a similar background like they had. So leverage that opportunity and leverage that opportunity to meet people. I've been in the football club, for example, and the people that I met, CFOs of German, you know, uh, car companies, I would have never met them in a local football club in Germany, you know? Right. But right. there I did. Everybody that's abroad has a deep need and deep interest and deep desire to connect to people. And that just makes it so much easier to meet people from all walks of life. And this will enrich, once again, your own life. Yes, again, not as much as an advice. And it is a feeling that I want to get across that, that really sustains me to every country that I travel to and that I believe uh, makes life better. Wonderful. I think that's a great place to wrap up our conversation. I love it. Great <laughs> advice through and through. Where can our listeners find out more about you and what you've been up to these days? Well, I'm a TikTok celebrity by now. I think I have uh, 100 followers. Oh, <laughs> no, uh, but jokes. <laughs> yes, I, I'll get there eventually. No, uh, but jokes aside, I share a bit of experience about games on, of course, LinkedIn. Patrick Wilkins on LinkedIn should be easy to find. I'm a bit harder to find on TikTok because my follow base is not big. <laughs> it's uh, Games Industry Insights on TikTok. And yeah, reach out. I'm more than happy to have a conversation if you have a question, more than happy to, to try to answer it. But yeah, that's where people would find me. And of course, gameindustrynetworking.com is a website that I'm entertaining. So if you're in games or if you're interested in games, reach out, check it out. Thanks to Patrick for sharing his story with us. You can find the full transcript for this episode at expatempire.com. Music on this episode was produced by Eli Hermit. Please check him out on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and lets us know that we are putting out content that you appreciate. You can quickly find out where and how to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash expatempire. If you know anyone who might enjoy this podcast, Please tell them about it so that we can continue growing the global expat empire community. Keep up to date on new expat empire podcast episodes by pressing the subscribe button in the podcasting app of your choice. You can also visit expatempire.com and sign up for the newsletter to get our free ebook, Top 10 Tips for Moving Abroad, right now. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Expat Empire, so be sure to follow us there. We're currently offering a free 30-minute consulting call to discuss your moving plans and how Expat Empire can help you to achieve them. Please visit our website to schedule your call today. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode in the coming weeks.